Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we pray that you would help us to remember. We pray that you would send us your spirit, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen us together with all of the saints as we contemplate Christmas to comprehend what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth and to declare glory in the highest and glory in the lowest, Lord. That we would fall on our knees, Lord, declare that Christ is Lord and that we would praise him forever and ever. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, be with us now as we open your word, that you would draw us uh, close to you, Lord. I pray that your voice would be heard speaking through your living and active word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I had a bit of a crisis earlier this week. Uh, it was Tuesday morning, I was getting ready for work and uh, rifling through my sock drawer and the most disturbing thought entered into my mind. As I'm trying to get ready for work, this is, what, this is the thought that came into my mind. I thought, boy, I hope I get some new socks for Christmas. <laughs> what on earth? Where did that come from? What has happened to me that I all of the sudden, how did I cross the line from all of my life thinking that there's nothing worse to get for you put a stocking out. You don't want more stockings in the stocking. You don't, you don't want socks. And yet something changed in me and I thought of what has happened to me that all of a sudden I now think that getting socks for Christmas would be a good thing. All of my life I thought that would be a bad thing. And then I thought that. Me. Socks. You know, gifts are a, a funny thing, depending on the person, depending on their temperament, depending on their age, depending on a lot of other factors, would determines how someone would respond to a particular gift. You know, uh, some of you would be really, really excited to, to have a Nintendo Switch under the, under the Christmas tree. And that, that would fire you up. Others of you would, would not be very, don't even know what that is. Others of you would just... You just, you're hoping that there's a pair of diamond earrings. Others of you wouldn't know what to do with diamond earrings. Some of you are thinking, well, just an air compressor. You see, those are, those are three very different gifts, but depending who you are, depending how old you are, the Nintendo Switch or the diamond earrings or the air compressor, the different groups of people would be leaping for joy, super excited, others would be terribly disappointed with one of those gifts. But there is one gift, the gift of gifts, a gift that was given for all people. And that is Jesus Christ. And that is the gift of light, the light shining into the darkness. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. The ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, this is our gift to you. We've been reflecting on the reality of Christ as the light shining into the darkness. We began in chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 where we talked about the identity of the light. 
Who is the light? He's the Word, and He was with God, and He was God, and He created the whole world. And then in verses 6 to 8, we were introduced to John the Baptist, who is our example of what it means to be a witness of the He wasn't the light himself, but he pointed people to someone greater than himself, and that's what we are called to do. But now, in, in verses 9 to 13, what we're going to study today, we are going to see the light actually coming and we're going to see this gift that was given and we're going to we're going to take a look at how different people responded to this gift how people responded uh, to the light uh, that was given so if you have John chapter 1 opened up right now I want to invite you to stand just out of reverence of uh, for God's word I'm going to read uh, John chapter 8 verses 1 down to uh, 18 so that we continue to understand the context of this passage that we've been Working our way through. This is God's word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him no, this is God's word. Uh, please be seated. I want to draw your attention to John chapter 1 verse 9 where it says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is, this is um, the, the beginning of the paragraph that we're going to be studying uh, today. And this passage describes the light coming into the world and then the reaction that people had towards the light and then the results and the the repercussions that came in light of the way that different people uh, responded to who Jesus is. And uh, today we're going to talk in terms of three categories. And in your sermon handout you've got three blanks and I just want to give you the opportunity to fill them out. Um, ahead of time. Um, so the, the three categories that we're going to be talking about today is, is the idea of being rejected, and then the idea of being received, and then the idea of being 
reborn, reborn. So the, the message today is going to come to you in sort of three movements as we work our way through this passage. Received, sorry, rejected, received, and reborn. Verse 9 begins by describing Jesus as the true light which gives light to everyone. It, it's a light and notice how it gives. It's a gift. And it's a gift that is for everyone. That, that there's there's no one who doesn't need this gift of light. Light is what gives us direction. Light is what gives us meaning and understanding. Light is what gives us the ability to perceive what is around us and what is coming up ahead. And Christ is the true light. And we are, as human beings, we are looking for light. We are looking for answers. Each and every person. Notice how it says, underline, it says the word everyone. It's the light that gives light to everyone. Everyone, at the end of the day, is asking the same fundamental questions. Questions about our past. Where where did we come from as human beings? How did life on earth start? Everyone's asking that question. And And then the question of meaning. Okay, so how did this all begin? But then why did it begin? And why is it still going? Why am I here? What's the purpose? What's the meaning of human existence? And then the, the third ultimate question that we're, we're all trying to answer and have been trying to answer for millennia is the question of where are we going? Is there anything after this life? And at, at different times, at different periods of history, we have turned to different places to try to find light, to try to find perspective and perception in terms of where, are we, where did we come from and what is the meaning and where are we going. And in John chapter 1 verse 9, Jesus is called the true light. He is the one who shines the light and reveals to us where did we come from. And he shines the light to show what is the meaning of life and he, and he shines the light on our future. He, on our past, he tells us, that God, John tells us that Christ made all things. All things were made through him. So our past is explained through Jesus Christ. He created us. Meaning, John 17, Jesus said, this is eternal life. This is true life that you may know me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Meaning comes through him. And then he said that, that whoever believes in him in John 3.16 will not perish. The, there's a life after this life but, and have the gift of eternal life. Jesus brings clarity, sheds light onto these questions that human beings have been trying to answer but have been in the dark for so long. Christ has come to answer those big ultimate questions. He is the true light. There was a period in history in the 1700s called the Enlightenment where different philosophers and writers were trying to build on some of the scientific um, discoveries that happened during the scientific revolution. They, they looked at things that Newton had discovered about gravity and what Galileo and Copernicus had discovered about astronomy. And they, they tried to apply that to human existence. They thought if there's, if there's rules that are governing the universe, then truly there must be rules that are governing how human beings interact with one another. And listen, they... they They did a lot of great things, and a lot of things in society improved under this quote-unquote enlightenment. But human beings, whether we are living in an enlightened age or not, still have all of the same issues and problems that we had back then. Because as great as Voltaire and Rousseau and John Locke were in in the enlightenment, they, they weren't able to answer, and science can't answer, those fundamental questions. Where did we come from? 
Why does life have meaning? And where are we ultimately heading? But Jesus is the true light that answers those questions that every person is asking. And he came to give light to everyone. And he was coming in the world. Verse 10 says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The first heading I asked you to write down was the heading of rejected. Christ came into the world. He was the light. He was going to give this gift to give light to everyone. And he came to the world and the world rejected him. He came to his own and his own rejected him. The word world appears three times in verse 9. This is talking about human beings in general. Jesus came to the planet that he created. It says that the world was made through him. Think about this. Jesus did not come in contact with anything or any person. He didn't lay eyes on anything or any person that he did not personally himself create. Jesus, you know, walking down a path and decides to lean up against a tree. He designed that tree to grow from a tiny little seed and to have a root system underneath that would, would create enough stability in the ground for the trunk to grow up and for twigs to grow into branches and to have leaves and that that leaves would have green chlorophyll in it to draw energy from the sun and also the precipitation that comes from, from the rain so that tree could continue to grow. And oh yeah, by the way, that tree was going to breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen to make, to make existence possible for human beings need to breathe oxygen. He, he designed all of that. Every tree that he laid eyes on. Every person that he came into contact with. He designed the complexity of the, of the eyes and the brain and the ear. Every time he saw a human being stand upright, he, he, he understood how he designed human beings. How our big toe and our foot and our large um, uh, femur bones and, and liquid in our ears enables us to stand upright. He designed all of that. He designed the 160,000 kilometers 160,000 kilometers of, of veins and arteries inside every single human being. He designed these things. The world was made through him. The opposable thumbs that we're using right now to open our Bibles and to hold tools and do all of the things that we do with our hands. He designed that. Everything was made through him. So he came to the world. Verse 10 says, The world was made through him. The creator came to dwell among his creatures. But the world that owed him everything gave him nothing. And we shouldn't be surprised, really, ultimately. We shouldn't be surprised that the fullest expression of the Godhead that Jesus Christ in the flesh, who was the exact imprint of God's nature, nature the, the fullness of God dwelled inside of him. We shouldn't be surprised that human beings rejected this gift. Because human beings have been rejecting God and evidence of God for, for centuries and centuries. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. It says, for, we, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So God demonstrated his divine power. He he demonstrated his eternal nature. They were clearly perceived in creation. And then God sent his son. His son possessed all of that divine power. All of that eternal nature. So they rejected God in creation. They rejected God when he came to dwell among his creation. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And notice this, their foolish hearts were darkened. The light came to shine in the darkness. And our foolish hearts, apart from Christ, our hearts were were dark. And rather than allowing the light which brings perspective and brings clarity, allowing Jesus to shine into the dark recesses of our hearts to show us who we truly are, to to reveal our sin, to reveal our depravity, to reveal the evil that lurks inside each and every one of us, the light was rejected as a gift. Because our hearts were darkened and we liked it that way. So there was rejection. Notice how it says the world uh, did not know him. The world did not. Now now listen, this is not referring to the fact that, you know, if you were to ask someone in uh, first century Palestine, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? It would have been, no, no, never heard of him. Listen, everyone had heard of him. He couldn't go anywhere without massive crowds. He was performing miracles. Other historians made note of him and the huge influence that he had at that time. When it says that they didn't know him, no, they were thinking in terms of knowledge from a Greco-Roman perspective or from a Hebrew perspective, which knowledge is not just head knowledge. Knowledge refers to an intimate back-and-forth relationship. So when it says that the world did not know him, it's not saying that they've never heard of him. But it's saying that they they knew who he was, but they refused. They refused to live in relationship with him. They refused to allow him to come into their lives, and they refused for themselves to live their lives in light of who he is and what he came to do. The world did not know him. So verse 10 begins by talking about human beings in general. But then in verse 11, it starts talking about his own chosen people. Verse 11, it says, he came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. See, this rejection happened on two levels. It happened to mankind in general, but also the people of Israel. You see, Jesus came. He's the light that shines and gives light to everyone. He's a gift that was given for everyone. All people at all places and all times. But he came... At a particular time, in a particular geographical location, to a particular group of people. The chosen people. The people of Israel. And verse 11 tells us that they rejected him. They did not receive him. He came specifically to them. And he, it says he came to his own. Christ was considered to be trespassing on his own property. He was an unwelcome guest in his own home. He was the architect, the builder, the owner, and the landlord. And he was given an eviction notice from the tenants. And that rejection led all the way to his crucifixion. And and his own people 
didn't crucify him on their own. No, no. They wanted to keep their hands quote-unquote clean, so they involved the Romans and to carry out the execution. And so we're all guilty, not just the Jewish people, but the whole world. The whole world rejected him. But in the infinite wisdom of our glorious God, it was in the rejection word that God made salvation possible. That as Christ was sent to the cross and ultimately rejected by the world and by his people, he suffered and died so that we would not be rejected from the Father. So that we could have our sins forgiven. So that we could have our lives transformed and that through his death we would receive the gift of eternal life. But his own people rejected him. I mean, he was the promised seed of the woman who was going to crush the head of the serpent. He was the one that Moses said, a prophet like me will rise up from among your brothers. He was the Lamb of God that was the fulfillment of every sacrifice that's recorded in the book of Leviticus. He was the offspring of David that was going to sit on his throne forever. He was, he was the one, he was the child that was born, the son that was given. He was the suffering servant who was going to be crushed for their iniquities. And yet he was rejected, but it was in the rejection that God orchestrated events so that that was in the very rejection. That's how he was crushed for our iniquities. That's how he was wounded for our uh, transgressions. We did not receive him. He was rejected and it ultimately led to the cross, which ultimately led to our salvation. The salvation of the very people who chose to reject him. And so I've got to ask you today, have you rejected Jesus Christ? Have you rejected him as Lord and Savior? You might think, well, listen, I haven't rejected him. I'm pro-Jesus. You know, I, I know some things about him, and I think it's good to have morals. Listen, Jesus didn't come to teach morals. He came to save us from our sin. He came as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you don't acknowledge him as king, you've rejected him. If he is not Lord of your life, if he is not your Savior, then you have rejected him. And listen, if, 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 you're, if you're going to, if you're going to uh, journey with other Christians, if you're going to get into God's word, and maybe you're here, maybe you've been doing this for a long time, attending church, maybe you're visiting church for the first time, and everything you know about Jesus you just learned in the last 15 minutes, you need to understand Jesus doesn't leave any room for sitting on the fence. You have either received him or you have rejected him. There is no, re there's no middle ground. There's no continuum. There's no spectrum. It's rejection or reception. And Christ came to shine his light. And listen, there may be some dark things that you want to keep hidden from hidden, hidden from others. Well, Christ has come to set you free from those things. He is the light that has shone in the darkness. So the first heading, and really the warning, is a warning about rejecting Jesus Christ. So that's the first heading. The second heading is the heading, Received. Verse 12 begins with the conjunction, a but. And this, this conjunction is a transition from tragedy to triumph, from, from bad news to good news, from mourning to joy, from confusion to clarity, from despair to hope, and from, from darkness to light. 
We were told about the people who did not receive Jesus but rejected him. But in verse 12 it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, Christ came as a gift. And some rejected the gift. But it it says in verse 12, some received him. They received the gift that was given. Listen, if someone gives you a gift, whether it's diamond earrings or an air compressor, a Nintendo Switch or a pair of socks, it's, it's very clear how you receive a gift, isn't it? You, you take it into your hands and then you unwrap it and then you wear the gift or use whatever, whatever the gift was intended to do. But how do you receive the gift of the Son of God? Well, John explains, he says, to all who received him, and then it says, who believed in his name. The way to receive the gift is to believe. It's to believe. I mentioned last week that the word believe occurs 98 times in just 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. Believe means active trust. Other New Testament authors use believe in its noun form. In English, that would be faith. It sounds very similar in Greek, but we talk about believing as a, as a verb, but faith is kind of the noun to sum up everything that you believe. John never, never uses faith as a, as a noun. It's always in the context of a verb. It's something that we are supposed to actively do. We actively trust. Well, what do we have to believe? Well, we have to believe that What we've learned so far in John chapter 1, we have to believe that Jesus is God. We have to believe that he came and died on the cross for our sin as our substitute. We have to believe that he rose three days later. We have to believe that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so it's not just something that we think with our minds. It's active trust. We are living these truths out in our daily lives. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. It's scandalously simple, isn't it? There's no talk about rules. There's no talk about religious rituals. There's no to-do list. It's simply believe. The people who get called the children of God are the people who believe. And it says that he gave the right or he gave the authority. That, that's, it's, it's sort of legal term, terminology here. It's like an adoption, having adoption papers. That's saying, these, these are my parents. I'll show you the documentation. I have the right. I have the authority right now. That's what, that's what John is saying. That those who believe have been given the right to become the kingdom, sorry, to become children of God. I love in that song that Jameson led us in right before I came up, talk about how the, the cry of faith so simple is the greatest song in heaven's hymnal. The cry of faith, the cry of I believe. That is, that is what gets someone crossing over from rejecting Jesus to receiving Jesus. And then we can be called, given the authority to be called children of God. Now this is is absolutely stunning in light of what the New Testament teaches about our our identity apart from Jesus Christ. Some of us think, well aren't we all God's children? No, we're not. In some broad general sense, he is our creator, he's the father of all things. But 
The New Testament specifically talks about human beings and where they are in, in terms of being children. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It says, And you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is all of our testimonies. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh. This is how every single person lives apart from Jesus Christ. Caring about the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature, notice this, children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. The wrath of God. The righteous anger of God towards sin. The holy justice of God requiring punishment for those who have rebelled against him. Children of wrath. That's who we were apart from Christ. And it's believing that crosses us over from being children of wrath to being children of God. Jesus said in John 8, 44, he's talking to some of the Jewish religious leaders. He said to them, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now some people think that, you know, Jesus was just this nice, friendly guy who just walked around and, you know, taught things and just sort of was a, was a great moral teacher. Well, that's, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Looking people straight in the eye and saying, I know who your father is. Your father is the devil. You see, you see the transition that is made available to us who receive Jesus Christ? From, from being children of wrath and children of Satan himself to now being children of God. All who did receive him have the right to be called children of God. Jesus is the son of God and he became like us so that we could become like him. That we could become sons and daughters. It's at Christmas time that we celebrate and, and set aside a season to reflect upon and think about Christ identifying with us as human beings. And coming and being a human and taking human form. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We have another season where we, where we contemplate and think about Christ dying for us. At, at Easter time or on Resurrection Sunday or on Good Friday. We, we, we take it a step further. Christmas is us marveling at the fact that Christ took on our identity as human beings. But then at Easter we think about Christ taking on our identity as sinners. That when he hung and bled on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. So that we would become the righteousness of God. And if we believe, we move from being children of wrath and children of the devil to becoming children of God. He became like us as a human and identified with us as a sinner so that we could become like him. Identified as righteous and identified as a son or as a daughter of God. John really couldn't get over this. He wrote another, a, a, a couple of other letters. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And he says, and then he says, and so we are. It's not just a label. It's real. He has made us his children. Loved ones, this is where we can find our true identity. We live in a world that is starving 
for a source of meaning and a source of identity. Some people are trying to find it in their appearance and how they look in their mirror, how they look on their social media selfies. And if I, if I look beautiful, then I must be beautiful. But if I, don't, if I don't think I look beautiful on the outside, then everyone else seems so beautiful and seems so happy. And then we, we get concerned about, about being ugly on the, on the inside because we don't feel beautiful. That's a horrible way to define your identity. Especially because, listen, we're all falling apart. And, and it's, it's just, uh, listen, I've got hair falling out places I want it and growing places I don't. It's, it's, that is not a place to stake your identity. Some of us stake our identity based off our accomplishments and what we're able to do, you know, building up a business or, or getting into a certain school or a, achieving a, some sort of completing some sort of project for notoriety. Listen, that is not a place to find. You'll always be looking for the next thing. If that's what you're staking out your identity, as soon as you, as soon as you reach that accomplishment, you're going to be looking. You're, you, you were expecting to be satisfied, but you aren't. Others of us try to just accumulate for ourselves possessions, and the same thing happens, doesn't it? Possessions are empty. They can't fulfill us. And so when we, when we think that if I, if I possess this, then I'll be happy, and then, and then we're not. We trick ourselves into thinking that if I own things that are worth a lot, then I must be worth a lot. Well, that's not true. That's not where our worth comes from. And some of the reasons why we gather so many toys around us, so many times why we try to be so successful and achieve all of these things, one of the reasons why we're so obsessed with our appearance is because we're so concerned about what other people think of us. And that's where we define our identity, our reputation, or how many people like us or follow us on social media, or how many friends we have or think we have. And listen, listen, people, listen, you know how fickle you can be with your friends. You know how quickly you can turn on, on being in someone's favor to then being aloof when they're, listen, you, we cannot, Jesus is going to be described in a couple of chapters, he did not trust himself to any man because he knew what was in man. That is not a good place to stake your identity with other people. But listen, when we, when we stake our identity with the, as a child of God, if that becomes how we define who we are, how would you answer right now the question, who are you? Some of you think, well, you know, I, I, I'm an engineer, or I'm a, I'm a math teacher, or I'm a mother. So that's rooted in what you do. Or who are you? Well, I'm, a, I'm this or I'm that. It's, uh, these are all different ways that we would identify ourselves. But listen, the, the, the most fulfilling answer to that question, who are you, is if you can really say and really believe and know it and say, I am a child of God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords loves me and I am in his family. That is such a beautiful and powerful a truth that will transform our lives. And we need to be reminded of that again and again. Paul Tripp talks about how we have identity amnesia. We're continually forgetting who we are in Christ. We're like, you know, goldfish in the, in the, in the, in the fishbowl. We get to this end and then we turn around we're like, oh, what's this over here? We've forgotten everything that... Everything that, has, uh, that we knew about ourselves already. But this is the privilege for all who have received this new identity as children of God. Adopted children. Then verse 13 says, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The third heading I asked you to write down was the, the heading of being reborn. Reborn. 
This is, this is a, a second birth. A birth that comes from God. And he makes it clear. He says you were born. He gives three negatives. Not of blood. Not of the will of the flesh. Not of the will of man. But of God. God brings about some sort of secret, spiritual, supernatural rebirth inside of his children. To those who receive him. This idea is a pretty big theme in the Gospel of John. Remember nocturnal Nicodemus, Nicodemus who comes knocking on Jesus' door in John chapter 3 and they have this late night conversation. What's the conversation about? Being born again, being reborn. Theologians call it regeneration. New life. And Nicodemus is scratching his head. What do you mean? What do you mean I need to be born again? Because he was thinking in terms of being born of blood or the will of the flesh or, or the will of man. But but John here says it's not any of those things. It's being born of God. Just like Jesus said, no, no, no. It's about being born of water and the Spirit. It's, it's not like a normal birth. It's a rebirth. It's a spiritual birth. John makes it clear that it's not of blood. You're not, you're not born into becoming a child of God because your parents are children of God. And this would have been mind-blowing for the Jewish readers. Because they were obsessed with their family trees and tracing their lineage back to a particular tribe in Israel, descendant of Jacob, and then, and then further back, a descendant of Abraham. And they thought that salvation and security and a relationship with God was strictly defined by your physical descendants. And here it says, no, it's not of blood. Maybe you think you're here today, that you're fine because you had a grandmother who went to church all the time. And so somehow, because of her, that you're okay with God. Some of you are here right now, and you're, you're, you're children, and don't assume for a minute, don't assume for a minute that just because your parents go to church and believe in Jesus, that you're somehow off the hook and don't need to presume. To each who receive him, you have to make a personal decision yourself to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to receive the gift. No one can receive it for you. So it's not of blood. And then it's not of the will of the flesh or the will of man. You, you can't earn it. It's a gift. There's no, there's no tryouts to become part of a family. You don't audition and then the parents say, okay, we'll take you. No, you're born into it. It's not according to the will of the flesh. You didn't try hard and then become a child of God. It's something that God gives as a gift. They're born of God. Speaking of identity. So we have this identity as children, but we also have this identity of being new. Being a new creation. Having this new rebirth that happens inside of us. And you might be thinking, listen, I may not, I may not experience that. I don't feel new. I feel like I keep going, going back to my old sins, my old patterns I'm thinking, my old ways of doing things. I'm stumbling, but listen... You are new. You are new and God is doing a work on the inside and he, you'll begin to see evidence on the outside. We don't always experience in everyday life something that is true about what's happening in our world, do we? Think about it on a macro level. How many of you right now are conscious of the fact that we are on an enormous sphere that is hurtling through space that's orbiting around the sun? How many of you are actually conscious of that right now? How many of you are physically experiencing that right now? Very few of us. 
Is it true? Yeah, it's true. Forget what Kyrie Irving says. It's true. How important is that? How important is that? Is understanding that truth to, to understanding our world? It's absolutely important, isn't it? But we don't experience it every day. So what's true on a macro, physical sense in terms of astronomy, it's a massively important truth, but we're not conscious of it all the time. Listen, it's also true on a micro, personal, spiritual level. You may not feel like you're a new creation, but you are. You have been reborn. Born of God. And listen, the way to overcome always giving back into those other sins or those old patterns of thinking or going back to those old ways is to remember your identity. So much dysfunction and disorder happens in our lives when we're trying to find and define our identity apart from being a child of God. That's how we get ourselves into trouble. But if we can remind ourselves of what John chapter 1 tells us here, that I am a child of God and I have been born again and I am new, that, that is how we battle and fight sin on a daily basis. It was, it, it's born by or born of God. He does it. Now think about your birth here for a second. You, you, you were not really that involved. Uh, there were multiple other forces and influences that brought about your arrival on planet Earth. You had very very little to do with it. You're making Christmas plans right now and you're trying to, you know, reserve a restaurant or get your grocery list set because you got people coming over, you're going somewhere else and all of that sort of thing. You did not do that with your birth. You did not make a, you didn't choose the month. You know, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the hospital or the, or the, the doctor or the delivery. You had no say in it at all. It was outside of your control. And the birth metaphor reminds us of this. That we are born of God. That he is the one who sovereignly interrupts our lives. And even though the darkness in our hearts wants to reject the light, he's the one who opens our eyes and opens our hearts in order to receive his son, Jesus Christ. Now some of you think, well, hold on, hold on, Ted. You were just talking about rejected or received. You were talking about like it was a choice that we have to choose, but now it sounds like you're saying, well, God does it all and we're not, we're not involved. Well, where is, this, where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from John chapter 1 verse 12, which emphasizes the idea of making a choice. And then it comes from John chapter 1 verse 13, which emphasizes that God is the one who brings about the birth. So you've got you can't escape that the Bible uses words like election and predestination. And there's no other way to be faithful in interpreting and translating the Bible apart from saying that God chooses us. And that he predestines, he brings about the birth himself. But you also can't escape that the Bible continually says, receive Believe, choose this day who you will follow. I stand at the door and knock. Make a choice. We have both of these things. And if you're familiar with the debate, you know Calvinism on one side and Arminianism on the, uh, on the other. And one tries to set up a straw man of the other person's posi uh, a position. And that's because we as human beings in our finite brains are always thinking in terms of either and or. 
We're here in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, and I could take you to dozens of places in the Bible where it's not either and or, it's both and and. God is sovereign. He sovereignly chooses his children. He supernaturally and sovereign, sovereignly brings about the new birth on his own initiative. But human beings make a personal decision whether or not to follow him or not follow him. The sovereignty of God does not neglect or negate the responsibility of human beings to choose. We don't necessarily see how those two things fit together, but the Bible puts them together. You might be, well, I'm not really satisfied with that answer. If you're not satisfied, I'm actually quite happy about that. Because it is a glorious mystery that is only understood in the mind of God. How we can make personal choices and be responsible for our personal choices. And yet underlying all of that is a sovereign God who, who chooses and elects and, uh, and, and predestines. This is, the, this is the glory of the new birth. Our salvation is rooted in the sovereignty of God. But it, it happens when we make the decision to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, both truths are taught in Scripture. They're one verse apart. Verse 11 and 12 is all about choosing. Verse 13 is all about being born of God. Children who are born of God. This is our new identity. All because Jesus Christ was born a human. The gift was given to us. The light came shining in the darkness. He, he came to become like us. And this is why a Christian is able to walk in a glorious and beautiful blend of confidence and humility. Two things that you so often, it seems almost impossible to come together. The Christian can walk in a great deal of confidence. Why? Because their whole, the whole meaning of their life is never riding on one particular conversation. The whole purpose for their existence is never riding on one job interview. So they can have confidence. Accept me or reject me. Love me or hate me. I have confidence because I am a child of God. And so whether I get the job or don't get the job, whether that person likes me or doesn't look like me, whether I'm getting more beautiful or more ugly, it doesn't matter. God loves me. And so Christians walk in this incredible confidence because they are a child of God. But they also walk in this incredible humility because they've been born of God. We walk in this incredible humility because when we read John 1.13, we know that we weren't smart enough to figure this out and decide that Jesus was the Savior. No, we needed God to, to intervene and step into our lives and shine the light into our darkness and open our eyes. And that's humbling to admit that yes, we chose Jesus, but in order for us to choose Jesus, God had to choose us and open our eyes first. It's also humbling that we need, when we talk about receiving Jesus, we need to receive the fact that we first rejected him and that rejection led to his crucifixion for, on our behalf. That he suffered and died for our sins. Nothing humbles you like understanding that the Son of God died instead of you on a cross. And so we as Christians have this new, this gift that has been given to us as this new identity that Jesus Christ came from heaven, the Son of God, and he was born physically here on earth so that we who are here on earth can be born spiritually and go to heaven. This is, this is why our whole identity 
is tied up in understanding the identity of that little baby lying in a manger. What you believe about who that is changes everything about how you understand who you are. And so as we head into this Christmas season, as we think about light coming into the darkness, we, we, we want to stop, stop and reflect and think, where am I finding my identity? And then we want to we come to the manger and we want to look at this child and we've we got to ask ourselves, who is this? Because it's only when we truly understand his identity that we'll be able to come to grips with our identity. It's only when we understand who he is that we'll be able to understand who we are. Are. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads right now. And I, I really believe that there's a, lot, there's a lot at stake here. I shared earlier that, that a lot of the dysfunction, the disorder, a lot of the sin that has happened in my life is, has come as a result of my failure to understand my identity in Christ. And so I want to ask you just to take a moment right now and just just between you and the Lord, and just start to ask him, Lord, where am I trying to find my identity? Where am I trying to find meaning and purpose in my life? And if you need to confess to him that you are looking away from him, if you are looking outside of the reality of being a child of God, who was born a God, who's sorry, born of God, who was, who was born according to your sovereign will, then this is a time where, where you need to confess that to him. Where you need to come before that manger, the, the, the wonder of this season that God has become flesh, that he has come to dwell among us. And so, Heavenly Father, we want to do that right now. We pray that by the power of your Spirit who indwells us, God, that you would be stirring in our hearts, causing us to know and to remember and to believe and to trust that that child that is in the manger is indeed the, the Word that became flesh, he is indeed the one who was with God and who was God, is the one who created all things, who created us. And God, we want to walk humbly before you. We want to find our source of identity and meaning and purpose in you and in you alone. And so God, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. Be with us this Christmas season. God, draw us close to you. Lord, we want, to, we want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to receive the gift that you have given to us.